ACT opposition leader, Elizabeth Lee. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Great to be here. so excited. There's so much that I want to cover with you. An hour is definitely not going to be enough. But um, I'm going to take up some time and show you this video that you've already seen, but just for our listeners, so they can um, get in on the joke. Here we go. Oh, hi there, Canberra. I see you've got your lanyards, roundabouts. <laughs> dizzy from going through all the roundabouts, constantly defending Canberra, saying it's not boring, but you actually realise it is boring when the main event for the year is an international flower show called Floriad. Flexing at the fact that you're the number one city in the world at Wordle. Whoop-de-doo. A school trip to Questacon. Always being annoyingly freezing. Yeah. Not freezing enough to have Damn. snow though, which is kind of like the fun kind of cold. Cancelled Qantas flight. A hail warning. A trip down to Beito to escape the people who live in your suburb, but when you get there, everyone's there from your suburb. Four out of five people is a public servant, and the remaining person is a cyclist in Lycra. Bike lanes on every single road, except where cyclists actually want to cycle. An electric scooter. Getting used to the fact that when you tell someone who's from overseas you're from Canberra, they say, Where's that? <laughs> Getting annoyed when the news says Canberra made this decision and Canberra did that, but it's actually the politicians who live in Canberra. Actually, they don't actually live in Canberra. They fly in and out of Canberra. Driving past a farm or two on your way to work. A walk around the lake in the direction of your choosing. Catman do puffer jacket. A large groan if you have to drive more than 20 minutes. Ugh, uh, 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 uh. Posting a pic to Insta of the view from the top of Mount Taylor. Being annoyed you're stuck in rush hour that only lasts for 10 minutes. A random encounter with a rogue emu. <laughs> Almost sitting a kangaroo. Hot air ballooning tickets that's always cancelled because of the fog. Lots of hot air because of all the hot air ballooning. And the politicians. <laughs> the inability to drive 100 kilometres an hour by law on a road. Lane one form. Signs that say lane one form when the rest of Australia said form one lane. Never surrendering when merging. Sorry, lane one forming. Stupid unwritten rule that the heater doesn't go on until after Anzac Day. This being the most vaccinated city in the world. First jab, second, third, fourth. Being from the north and not wanting to go south. Being from the south and not wanting to go north. Ogans. Burnouts. Bogans and burnouts, sorry, summonats, <laughs> talking about your APS level, APS 6 telling you about their EL1 secondment, overpriced rentals, when talking to someone from Queanbeyan constantly using the joke, I'll need to see your passport, <laughs> never gets old, referring to the city as civic, overpriced parking in civic, getting a parking fine in civic, Fleece lined active wear, nothing being open in January, <laughs> realising right now for the first time you've been saying Monica all these years when it's actually Manuka. Protesters. <laughs> being annoyed at protesters, regardless if you think they're right or wrong. <laughs> Weed. <clears throat> Sorry. Weed in the garden and lime milk whatever that is. Okay, that's it for you, Canberra. Oh, and that'll be 20% more than anywhere else because you live in Canberra. Okay, bye. <laughs> Next. <laughs> so now tell me, 
Elizabeth, is that true or false what he said about Canberra? Oh, look, I think that every Canberran has watched this clip, <laughs> will recognise at least some parts of that yeah. and uh, have a great chuckle for themselves. <laughs> and so why do you think, I mean, I was talking to my husband driving in this morning and I was saying that, you know, Canberra's known as the boring city. He says, no, Canberrans don't think it's a boring. Outside people think Canberra. Why do we have that stigma? Yeah, it's an interesting question and I think it's uh, been for a long time and it has to be, right? And I can mm. say this as a politician that part of it is because we are full of politicians. Yeah. And, um, you know, it certainly has grown, especially in the last uh, couple of decades. And uh, But, you know, people have this memory of Canberra being a little backward, you know, mm. that it's all boring, it's a bit bureaucratic. Uh, but if you have a look at what Canberra has become, you know, we certainly have come into our own. We're, we're, a, we're a mature city and uh, I would say that uh, there is a lot going for it. But um, it's getting the message out and uh, it's very yeah. hard to fight that um, perception yeah, that stereotype, one. yes, mm. 100%. And so having said that, I know you moved out from Sydney, a buzzing city, mm -hmm. different for Canberra, when you were 18, to come out to Canberra and that was to go to the Australian National University and study law. Yes. And since then you haven't gone back to Sydney? Uh, not really. Like I went back for about, you know, one semester at the end of university. But, yeah, genuinely I have I have made Canberra my home from 18, yeah. So what? So other than studying because you stayed on, what was it about Canberra that had you say, no, I want to live here? Yeah. Um, so while I was studying and especially to in the latter uh, years of my degree, I actually ended up uh, fortunately in a legal job and uh, made some great networks with barristers and lawyers and, uh, and I thought that I had laid down some great uh, – um, roots professionally mm -hmm. and I knew that opportunities would be great here in Canberra and um, and you know it's funny because everyone's like oh why'd you move from Sydney but you know I moved at 18 um, I lived in Blacktown so yeah. my, and my parents still live there yeah it was uh, to be honest like you know I don't really remember missing anything that's uh, what most people love about Sydney which okay. is you know the beaches or the or the, or the city yeah. life and all okay. that um, so yeah so for me Canberra was kind of you know a, a nice little transition I think okay and, uh, yeah and all it right. was certainly a different Canberra back in 98 when I moved wow. out very different um, I still remember that it was only one lane you know at some <gasps> parts <laughs> from wow. Sydney to Canberra oh what Sydney yeah. to Canberra one lane yeah, oh Sydney my god Sydney to Canberra god. one lane um, you know and I think that the house prices you know were certainly nowhere near what mm. it is now Mm. And uh, Braddon, you know, it's changed so much. It used to be industrial. Like you would have car yards in Braddon. Really? Um, and now it's like, you know, hipster central. So it is very, very different. It's like the new town. Of yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Right, yeah. All right. So now this is really interesting. I've always wanted to ask you this, Elizabeth, and that is the fact that your story is you came out uh, as immigrants from Korea with your parents. Mm -hmm. Can you take us back to the story of Elizabeth Lee? Because I want really want our audience to know who you are, your background. Yeah, sure. So um, I was born the first of three girls uh, in Korea in 1979. Mm. And uh, my parents um, who I think – it's funny because, you know, they, they live in Australia and a lot of people assume that they probably are that traditional, typical tiger parents and then they really weren't and uh, they were always very liberal-minded people. And my dad said that um, he wanted us, as in at the time it was only me and my sister Rosa, who's two years younger than me, he wanted us to have a broader view of the world. He knew that Korea um, was at the time a fairly insular country mm. and despite the fact that it went through a phenomenal Phenomenal uh, economic development period in the in the eighties. Um, it still wasn't that global, um, you know, country. But what he saw in Australia 
was an opportunity for my sister and I to broaden our horizons, get a global view of of the world mm. and reach, um, I suppose, opportunities that may not have existed for us in Korea. Back then and even to an extent now, if you want to pursue a tertiary education, it is still, you know, um, expensive. It is still mm. difficult if you're not necessarily well connected or uh, wealthy. Whereas in Australia, the uh, opportunities seem to be abundant. And uh, so my parents made a decision mm. to uproot their lives mm. and to move to Australia. And my dad's older brother, so my uncle, actually was already living in Australia. So that helped a lot. Um, but, you know, and I, and I pay tribute to my parents because mm. it is very difficult. Yeah. If I think yeah. about, hey, what would happen if I uprooted my life right now and moved mm. to a country where I don't know anyone, you know, except one brother, where I don't know the language, where I don't know the culture, mm. and um, and leaving behind all your family and friends, and it's a huge decision, right? You know, mm. so. Uh, but I don't remember sort of coming to Australia at that young age and feeling, um, you know, left out or, or feeling abandoned or anything like that. Um, and it must have been very overwhelming yeah. at the time. Yeah. But uh, I do remember the kindness of strangers, and I remember just some exciting stuff, you know, so unfamiliar things, but it was. Was also very very exciting so um yeah we settled in western sydney in marylands wow. <laughs> it was actually we we're living in the back of someone's house so the landlord lived at the front of the house and we lived in the area at the back uh with my uncle as well so um it was my my parents and just my sister and i and we lived there for a few years before my um dad was able to buy our mm. own house and that was very exciting still remember moving um uh in Box, I think it was Boxing Day, 1988, wow. and uh, we moved to Blacktown and that's where I sort of spent a lot of my formative years. Mm-hmm. And um, my uh, – actually, it was Boxing Day, 87, because my youngest sister was born in May, 88, and so my mum was pregnant, I remember. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so we had um, – yeah, so my parents had the third daughter, Sarah, in 1988 in, in Australia, which we always joke is that she's made in Australia. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I do remember a very, very happy childhood actually, despite yeah, despite the fact that there weren't many other Asians uh, around at that time. Mm. And uh, my dad worked in the construction industry, certainly no Asians around mm, then. Yeah. And, um, you know, and I'm sure that he faced a few challenges because of his uh, race. but And accent. Yep, accent mm. um, and the fact that he didn't understand English because yes. he had a family to feed, you yes. know, so he had to start working straight away. Mm. Um, so they had a few months of English lessons, but really Dad had to start working almost immediately Mm-mm. and, uh, you know, mingling and um, getting along with colleagues that and he just didn't really understand much English. Yeah. So. Kudos to them. Yeah. Kudos so. to them, seriously. <laughs> to all the – I mean, if we become anything, if we do anything, it really is we're standing on the shoulders of our parents. Absolutely. True blue. There's no doubt. Uh, I believe and I have a belief in God. First it's God, then it's our parents because without them this is not an opportunity that we would have ever dreamt of, let alone had. Absolutely. No doubt about it. And so with that story of this, which is – uh, the um, an immigrant story coming into the country. How proud must your parents be <laughs> for you to be the leader of an Australian party? That's six. I'm sure they may be like, well, yeah, we did something right. <laughs> we did it right. We did it right, baby. We did it right. I mean, how proud are they? Yeah, look, you know, and uh, at the end of the day, you know, and I used to say this when I was running as a candidate, that it, it's, it, you know, it's my face and name on the ballot paper and on the on the material, but you cannot run mm. an election campaign alone. And mm. I was very fortunate to have great support and, um, you know, from lots of people, but mm. especially my family. Mm. Like my parents have been absolute rock. 
Fox. You know, I still remember my first campaign in uh, 2012 and my parents who still live in Sydney uh, would drive down every Saturday morning at about 4am and then mum would make breakfast and uh, make a lunch for all the volunteers for Saturday. Uh, oh. We'd go out, um, you know, uh, campaigning and then um, dad would go letterboxing while I was doing, you know, door knocking. And then on Sunday they'd drive back up to Sydney at 4pm and work, you know, Monday yeah. to Friday and then do it all again. And they did that wow. for about seven months. Yeah, what so. champions. Oh, amazing champions, amazing champions. Amazing. So I could not have been, uh, I couldn't be here and I, and I would not have been able to do do this without, without them. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, they've sacrificed so much, mm. uh, so much to be here, start a new life. And the greatest way that I can repay them for the sacrifices that they've made is to f- be fulfilled mm. and to make sure that I succeed uh, in, you know, here in Australia. And, uh, and that's something that I always talk to my sisters about as well. Beautiful. And what a great role model you are to your sisters. I mean, no. holding the flag literally at home <laughs> and on the professional front, you know. Uh, well, that's very kind. But, <laughs> but my sisters are, you know, very, um, um, yeah, well-adjusted, sort of successful women themselves. I've got Rosa who's a public servant and has mm-hmm. been for over a decade now. And, um, you know, there is a, a great pride, especially for my parents, to see mm-hmm. Rosa being a uh, long-standing member of the Australian public service, you mm-hmm. know, serving the public <laughs> in Australia. And my youngest sister said, Sarah, um, you know, it's funny because she was a bit of a black sheep and she went through some periods at school where she was, uh, you know, she was a little bit of a the rebel. Youngest the youngest always, always, always right. the youngest. <laughs> yeah, she was. And then, and then, and then she's come good and, you know, and I would say she's probably the most successful out of all of it. So no. she's, she's got, she's got a very, um. Yeah, very sort of high position uh, at a major bank. So she's um, she's doing very, very well. So Excellent. Yeah. So I'm interested to know, ba- based on your background and your story, coming in and not knowing English, usually, this has been my perception, mm. the immigrant story is usually resonates with the Labor Party. Mm-hmm. I'd like to know what is it about the Liberal Party that really has resonated with you? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a good question and I have to say that when we first arrived in Australia, let's, I mean, we, we don't know anything about Australian politics, mm-hmm. right? So uh, when we arrived, we were literally told, hey, migrants and working class vote Labor. That, that we were genuinely told that. And so in the beginning, it was like, oh, that, that must be how we vote. That must be what we do. And then it was um, when I started to, uh, you know, grow up and realise and and start living life that I realised the values of the Liberal Party really resonated with me more. And that is um, individual freedom and responsibility, that we should all be free to make decisions for ourselves, do what we need to do, free from judgment, provided that we take responsibility for our own decisions and that we don't harm others. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at it from that core value perspective, it really was the Liberal Party that um, resonated with me. Mm-hmm. It was also about the aspirational aspect, mm-hmm. you know. It was mm-hmm. about making sure that every single person is given the opportunity to reach their full potential mm. and uh, realising that it is about that individual freedom but at the same time the individual responsibility. Okay. And so w- with that in mind, and that's literally liberal core values. Mm. In the ACT, there hasn't been a liberal government since the year 2000. That was the last time a liberal government. 2001, yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. What, what is it about the Liberal Party that's not connecting with Canberrans? Yeah, and if I knew it, I would. Uh, <laughs> you would do it like I would do it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. yeah, no, no, no. But at the same time, um, uh, no, and I'm very mindful of that. Okay. And uh, it is, it is, it is 
tough. It is a mm. challenge. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's frustrating at times because you sort of sit there and realise, especially when you're in, when you're in that um, inner circle and see all of the decisions that are made that have massively negative impacts on people, it is very frustrating because being in opposition, mm. you're limited in what mm. you can do. You can raise mm. the issues and you can, you know, put the pressure on the government, but you don't hold the decision-making mm. power. And that's very frustrating. Mm. But at the same time, you know, we've got to take responsibility for why we haven't been able to sway the voters of the ACT. And I think that there is no silver bullet. There is no one single answer. Mm-hmm. Um, like most, you know, most things, um, it's it's a complex um, issue and, and there are a variety of reasons. But I'm also hopeful that uh, in 2024 um, that I'll be able to bring about a yeah. Liberal government. And that's what I'm working toward each and every day and uh, as is every single member of my team. I think that Canberrans have been dudded by this Labor-Greens coalition and we can see that in – I mean, you can see that in what's happened in the last couple of years, right? If you have a look at the health system – I mean, we're talking about senior health professionals who are leaving in droves. Mm-hmm. You've got really concerning issues of bullying of junior doctors and our ED wait times are some of the worst in the country. When you have a look at our schools, you know, it was some shocking, shocking reports of violence in our schools um, and uh, they've had been issued with a work safe investigation and prohibition notice. Uh, when you talk about the teacher shortage that's chronic, which is now yes. forcing you know, schools to go remote because they just don't have the teachers, that's really tough. And then when you have a look at the fact that, you know, previously we used to be one of the highest academically performing jurisdictions in the country and that is no longer the case and it's really, really, really doing disservice to our future leaders. So that's an interesting point you may bring up. So when we talk something like the most highest academic jurisdiction, the teachers living in droves, uh, why do you think... Because I know from teachers that have said to me, the amount of paperwork is just overwhelming. Teaching takes a back seat when you're overwhelmed, when the financial remuneration for a teacher isn't as much to keep up with the standard of living. So all these stresses added to the fact of teaching a student and you've got 30 different personalities to teach. What would be different, like what would you suggest to have happened to allow teachers to just be able to teach and take away the level of paperwork that's involved? Yeah, and that's one of the things that was actually part of our uh, election commitment in the last election Mm. is about freeing up that admin burden for teachers. We want our teachers to be doing what they do best and that is teaching our children. What we do here is that they do get burdened with a lot of admin Mm. and sometimes we get reports of people saying, you know, we're required to fill out this form and that form and this form and that form and they don't do anything, like they don't go anywhere. So, you know, the red tape is actually quite burdensome. So So you just take off that red tape, you just go, no need to do the form A, B, C, D. Obviously, there's going to be times where forms are required, either for probity mm-hmm. or because of risk management, and that must be looked at. So, But if there is a form that you're filling out for the sake of filling out a form, then let's mm-hmm. get rid of it. Okay. You know? Okay. All right. So you would be inclined to take away the admin for teachers? Oh, well, whatever we can to lift the burden so that they are doing what they do best, which is teaching, is going okay. to be welcomed. Okay. So l- let me, I want to talk to you. You wrote a letter to your daughter before she was born. <laughs> you wrote an open letter. I just want to read something of that because I think it's just so beautifully written because I it just felt when I was reading it, I felt like it was coming from the heart. I could feel that. And so I just want to share it with our listeners. And you said in this letter, The best thing that any of us can do is to contribute to society in the best way each of us can. Some of us have a talent for art or music to bring beauty into this world. 
Some of us have a brain to solve problems we couldn't even imagine. And for me, you say, it is the privilege of being able to be a voice for those who may not be in a position to do it for themselves. And so you are a female in a uh, major party, the opposition leader. And one of the things people usually say is that, well, because she's a leader, we need to, or she's a female, we need to vote. I, I don't agree with that. I believe on credentials and I know you have them. And so as a leader, regardless of your gender, I wanted to find out who do you believe in Canberra is voiceless and what would, how would Canberra look different under a liberal Elizabeth Lee leadership? Yeah, and that's a really, really good question. I think that when you have a look at the way that the Labor and Greens have governed for our city over the last uh, decade or so, you'll notice that there is certainly a lack of diversity in terms of voices in the elected representatives. When you have a look at the fact that at the moment, every single elected member from Labor and the Greens, there is absolutely no multicultural diversity in mm -hmm. there. And, um, you know, so there's there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot that goes missing when you don't have a diversity of voices around the decision-making table. I think that's the mm -hmm. really important thing to keep in mind. The other thing is um, what, what we have seen uh, from the policies of the Labor and the Greens coalition is that they're leaving behind those people who are actually struggling. It's all easy for us to sit there and say, you know what, Canberrans have the highest median wage, you know, we've all got really good jobs and, uh, and we're doing really well. And for a lot of Canberrans that's true. Let's not forget that there are almost 40,000 Canberrans actually living in poverty. So I don't think that this Labor Go Greens coalition has looked after the people who are actually struggling day to day. Okay. When you have a look at the fact that there's, you know, the, the median house price is over a million dollars. Mm. Median rents are over $700 now for houses, which is almost $200 above the national average. And you have people literally saying, you know what, I just cannot afford to live in Canberra. That is actually quite worrying. Do we want to create a city of the future under Labor and Greens that will price out basically, mm -hmm. that will price out uh, people because that's what's currently happening. They're deliberately strangling land supply and so depriving Canberrans because they have a policy that they're wedded to that they want to push 70% of Canberrans into high-rise apartments whether they like it or not, whether they like it or not. And that is what they are wedded to. That is what they are wanting to do and they only confirm that once again just in the last couple of weeks. So that's their policy and so under a future Liberal Elizabeth Lee government, mm -hmm. it is about giving Canberrans genuine choice when it comes to housing options. I want all Canberrans to know that they can reach their full potential here, not just those that have the resources to do so. Okay. So th this is quite interesting because I didn't know that the, the government of the day today is trying to get people to go into units because I don't understand. What's the logic behind that? Yeah, well, this is what they say is because their policy is ideologically driven to 70% infill, i.e. not uh, land for detached housing. It, okay. is about, it is about high rises. Okay. And when you say injecting more multiculturalism, how would that look under a government that you would lead? It would be making sure that we ha um, have the voices. And it starts with having people who actually have 
different life experiences mm-hmm. who are going to be at the decision-making table. And, and at the moment, or what we've seen in the last at least decade, we haven't seen that from the other side. Okay. All right. And so you mentioned before we were talking about land and, you know, making sure. One of the uh, Liberal senators who's running for federal at the moment, he's got a slogan that says, more land, uh, more homes. And because he's running for a federal seat, how does he have – is that a correct slogan because we're talking about um, Canberra land? Does a federal member who is running for a candidacy for federal, does he have a say into how, how land is distributed at a territory level? Yes, because in the ACT we're uniquely placed that we actually have uh, within our boundary uh, federal land. And, uh, you know, so the land that Senator Seselja has talked about and has um, negotiated with his colleagues to release for Canberra is uh, federal land mm-hmm. at the CSIRO site. And uh, it's about making sure that we make land available so that Canberrans are given genuine choice when it comes to housing. Oh, so the CSIRO land, is that's all federal yep. land? yep. Really? Yes. I never knew that. So that's the land that he's specifically talking about yes. when he says, I can give more land yes. and more homes. Yep. How big is the land? So um, it's well, the, there's going to be some more work done in that area about obviously you know the residential, but there's got to be at least two thousand homes. Um, so at okay. least in that in that in that initial area. Okay, because when I was speaking to the chief minister last week, he was saying that in the periphery he has a say, but at the end of the day, the go ahead is with. Territory government. So you're in terms of the territory government has a responsibility for development and um, you know the infrastructure and, and yeah and schools the, and, and municipal water services, and yes all electricity. Yeah. So if the liberal government or pardon me the the labor government say no we cannot or we, no we won't then it cannot go ahead. But you know what that's incumbent on the chief minister to explain why when given basically the federal land to release for housing he's going to put a block to that. Why is he so wedded to – is it because it's it's the, a Liberal senator that's released it? Mm-hmm. You know, it's incumbent on the Chief Minister to explain why when basically the federal government has intervened to release more land, mm-hmm. he is going to look at uh, putting a block up for that. Okay. All right. I think that makes you really upset. <laughs> it does because I think that <laughs> it gets you fired up. It does. And I think the reason is because, you know what, I remember, and, you know, I mentioned earlier, in 87 when we bought um, our first house in Australia, and from a migrant perspective, mm. having your own home, being able to own your own home in this new country of yours really sets the roots down. Mm, it yeah. makes you say, you know what, I'm Australian. And to deprive that of the next generation of Canberrans I think is absolutely just unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair call, fair call. So with um, with this is something very interesting, the fact that, um, you know, I was I asked the opposition of the part of me, the chief minister this last week Perhaps as well. T- <laughs> and I was asking him um, the lights, some of the landmarks in um, Canberra were lit up for Ukraine mm. in support of what is going on in Ukraine. And uh, that's fully encouraged. The National Capital Authority, which is under the federal government, and they get the say as to which land, they're under the landmarks. So they look after the landmarks in Canberra. And they have a say as to what can be lit up or what can be done to them. Mm. I wanted your opinion, please, um, Elizabeth, because that's a federal government responsibility of lighting up and what can happen to the national landmarks, 
What about support for like Palestine, Afghanistan, Iraq, the invasions of those countries? Yeah, look, I, I don't know. I don't know what the discussions are. I'm not part of those discussions, but obviously they will take on board the feedback from the community and what the views of the government of the day are as well. And uh, and the decisions will be made about, um, you know, the landmarks being lit up for whatever reason. But we know that it's not just about international issues that they do um, light up those mm. landmarks. You know, if you've noticed things like um, certain days you know like for pregnancy and infant loss remembrance day they they, they did the light up um, I think where for cop 26 they did the light up as well so so there's a lot of different uh, reasons or causes or you know that um, that they'll make decisions to to light up I think it's almost impossible to please everybody because it's going to be difficult because you know, if you light it up for one thing and not another, there's always going to be someone who says, mm-hmm. well, what about this? Yes. So, you know, I don't envy the decisions that are being made or the decision makers, but um, I'm sure that they take into consideration many, many different views and uh, and make those decisions. Would you, if, if you were in charge, would you say that that would be a concern? Would that be, let's not light anything up or if we're going to light it up, we'll make sure that we can cater to all Australians? And well, I think it's always a difficult decision and that's what politicians do every day. You know, it's impossible to please everybody and uh, as long as there is faith in the decision-making process, then I think that's the most important thing. Okay. So in your time as being uh, opposition leader, um, you have met uh, the current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, who is currently on campaign. I wanted to bring up um, Conchetta Firavanti-Wells, the Liberal Senator who called the current Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, a bully. Catherine Cusack, who was a New South Wales Liberal MP who endorsed Conchetta's uh, remarks and saying that he was a self-serving, ruthless bully. Barnaby Joyce, the actual Deputy PM, who called him a hypocrite and a liar. Scott Morrison himself recently on the campaign trail saying that he was a bulldozer. In your experience... As a member of the Liberal Party and as a leader, how has your experience been with Scott Morrison? Uh, Look, you know, it'd be uh, wrong for me to say that I've had long interactions with the Prime Minister. Um, Obviously, I don't work with him on a day-to-day basis, so um, I can't comment on the comments that have been made by some of the other colleagues. But uh, the interactions that I've had with um, the Prime Minister have always been very cordial, very warm. I don't recall in my time having followed elections, that members of their own party come out and say the, the same thread of, thread of thinking and through so many different people. And I just wonder, as in like, how is this even coming around? And I know that you're not in the federal, but I know you have interactions and you must have an ear as to what's going on. And my, the, the purpose behind asking this question is to really just to get clarification on what is happening that is creating such conversation, such thoughts in his own party? Because it could just create, you know, ripples of negativity in the public. So what's got, like, do you, can you give us an understanding of how this could even come about? Look, the short answer is no. I mean, obviously the interactions that happen at the federal level happen at the federal level. Uh, but what I can say is that every interaction that I've had with my federal counterparts, uh, you know, from the Prime Minister to the Treasurer through to all the other ministers have always been very cordial, very warm and very supportive. So if you were to become um, Chief Minister 2024, what's one of the main policies or one of the main issues that you'd like to address? Obviously, housing affordability is a huge, huge issue. I've always acknowledged that there is a complexity 
and a diversity of reasons uh, that go to housing affordability. But there are several policy levers that are within the sole control of the ACT government, uh, including land supply, mm. that we can actually exercise uh, some judgment on. And what the huge difference in that policy area between the Liberals and the Labor Greens Coalition is that we will make sure that there is land, more land available for Canberrans so they can have genuine choice, a real choice when it comes to housing options. So when you say choice means like their own house, not a unit, but their own home? Like if that is their choice, yes. Okay, so more land redistribution so that that can take place. Yes. Now that is not the be all and end all. We know that. There are factors, other factors that go into housing affordability, but that is a policy lever that is at the sole discretion of the ACT government. Would you increase land rent, the land rent scheme? I'm not sure what you mean. So the land rent scheme is the where the government allows people to put their name in a so-called hat. It's not a hat. But then you, your name gets drawn out and then land is redistributed. You get the land, you actually get to rent the land and not have to buy it. So you rent it off the actual government. The ACT uh, is in a unique situation where we're actually leasehold anyway. So I'm not sure if you mean that or if you're talking about a genuine rent, land rent scheme. So these are all types of issues that we'll need to have a look at. But the ACT is unique in Australia in that it is a leasehold system, not a freehold system. Yes, exactly. So it's through lease that you're paying it off. So is that something that you would increase? That's not, a, that's not um, an option. That's just the way it is in the ACT. That's not, that's not a policy lever. That's just the way it is. But would you, we don't have control over that. So would you allow more land to be available so people can have that option of renting yes. land? Okay. But you have no option. If you're, if you're looking at rent, rent in terms of leasehold, it's every land, in all land in the ACT is leasehold. Is it? Yes. Okay. All right. So then in, the, in that case then, with, um, with looking at more land, more, more availability of homes for people in Canberra, that would be one of your first things to do should you become 2024's leader. And what is it that you think you would do differently in terms of campaigning or connecting with Canberrans so that that voice can be heard in the next election? Yeah, well, obviously making sure that uh, I think that there's a lot of criticism aimed at politicians uh, at all across all parties yeah. and, and at all levels about yeah. losing touch, about mm. sort of becoming out of touch with, with what the genuine public wants. And uh, that is very, very important to me that I don't do that. And so it is important that I go out there on the ground, do the grassroots campaigning, talk to people face-to-face as much as I can. Uh, and, uh, you know, whilst we, of course, have, um, you know, the the government who does everything through committees and advisory councils and all of that, and they're important, it's also important to make sure that you're going out and talking to people on a day-to-day basis as well. Uh, and so that's, that's always going to be a, a key part of engaging with the public and making sure that we know what their genuine needs and concerns are. Uh, but it's also about making sure that we get that positive message across and you know, I'll, I'll say, I'll be the first to say that obviously the Liberals um, need to do better because we've not been able to come away with um, a win for the last mm. 21 years and that is something that needs to change. And so um, you, you must be looking forward to it. You must be look, You must be so hungry for it. You, you know, just the change, fresh blood into the scene, onto, into the seat and making a difference of how you would see it. I mean, that's pretty, 
Do you visualize that at times? Yeah, of course. And you know, we also we all need a goal to work toward, and and a, and a change of government in twenty twenty four is the goal that I'm currently working toward. But you know, this excitement about we need some fresh blood and all of that is actually for the benefit of our democratic system and for our community as well. Um, we we are not best served by having a tight old government that is stale and complacent and arrogant uh, over the last twenty years. It does not serve the community well. So, and it's incumbent on us as as the Liberals as the alternate government to ensure that we put our best foot forward as the genuine alternate government. Mm-hmm. So as a member of parliament, as a leader of a party and as a mum, how are you handling it? Because the responsibility for a female is very different to a, for a male when you have a child because the child is so attached to a mum predominantly most of the time. Is that something that you juggle with or you kind of – because I know I've seen you in speaking events and you bring little Mia with you. Do you do that normally? I mean – Someone who is looking or anticipating or juggling the thought of, do I want to get into politics? What is the, what would you say to a female looking into getting into that pathway? I think that what I would say to females who are looking at going into politics is that, yeah, it is challenging, but it's challenging for males as well. Um, But that I'm doing the best that I can to make sure that politics is something that would be more female friendly and uh, where our work is not finished but when you have a look at the way uh, politics is done locally compared to federal uh, I think that we certainly have set a good benchmark um, and making it family friendly and it's not just for females but it's for families so um, the fact that we don't sit really long hours so you know you're not going to see us at the legislative assembly sitting until 2 a.m or 11 Mm. p.m or anything like that Uh, and we also don't sit during school holidays Um, so you know it just makes it a little bit easier to juggle uh, childcare during those times when school's not not um, not there and um, so you know those types of issues I think are really really important there's also a a, I suppose unspoken agreement between the parties that you will give each other a pair if um, you need to uh, you know you need to, you know, you know, you've got a sick child, or if you've got caring responsibilities, and I think that's that understanding, that mutual understanding, is important as well. But that's to benefit, you know, men and women. You know, it shouldn't be that um, females are required to uh, take on the burden of 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 the child rearing or the family responsibilities. And I think that's really important in this day and age that um, that example is set. Uh, on a personal level, um, it is challenging. There's no doubt about it. Mm. The job that I do have uh, is is well, I consider it more than a job. It's a duty. And so you can't switch off. It's not a nine to five where you can leave work at home. So, um, and, you know, I, I have the mum guilt just like most working mums. Um, you know, there are a lot of times when, when uh, me will wake up and ask for daddy because I've just not been home the last three nights in a row. Or, um, you know, so, so it, look, it is challenging. It is challenging. Uh, but I would say that, you know, politician fathers are probably in the same position where they've been away for four nights and, you know, they come home for the weekend and, and the kids sort of are like, oh, you're here. You know, mm-hmm. so the, the advantage for us at the local level is that we don't travel. So at least for us, whilst we may have um, other responsibilities in the evenings, we're not interstate. Okay. We actually come home at night time and, you know, yes, I come home sometimes at night time after me has gone to bed, but I still get to go into her room, creep in and give her a little kiss and, you know, mm. and uh, and see her in the morning and, uh, you know, and that's a better position than some of the other federal politicians. Yeah, for sure. And so is there a particular reason which you were talking and it occurred to me, you could have gone for any role, you could have gone to a, for a position or a candidacy for federal. Is there a reason why some, like for yourself, why do you went for local and not for federal? 
Is there like a reason or is just you just prefer you love Canberra? Like what, what is the reason that some people would go? Because it's an election campaign. You still amount of work. It's still the amount of rigmarole and running around. It's a lot, no matter which government you're going for. Why the difference? What did you, what was it about local that resonated? Was it the travel? Yeah, so with um, local politics, I think in ACT, we're uniquely placed that you've got territory responsibilities as well as the local responsibilities. Mm -hmm. So um, it's one of those roles where you actually are very embedded into your own community. You know, you actually get to... um, you know, make decisions that impact people every day. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, whilst some people might think that it's not quite as sexy as, uh, as federal politics, <laughs> it's actually the decisions that impact people um, on a day-to-day basis. And I think that is important. Um, you know, that is important. Um, and uh, obviously in the ACT, uh, I did run in the federal election in 2013. Oh, yeah, so I as a candidate that. there, and um, it was um, it was uh, it was I mean it was a very different campaign, you know, federal campaigns are, uh, but it was good experience. Um, but of course, um, in the ACT, the House seats, they are all very safe Labor, so it's it's difficult for any Liberal candidate um, to uh, make any headway uh, on in those seats. Mm-hmm. But it's important uh, for our democratic system that um, different voices are represented. How do you get over the you know? Um because we were talking before about campaigning and being on, you know, some people are nice, some people are not so nice. Yeah, sure. How – and that's just – that's just like it's tradition. That's how people talk about politicians. How do you mentally overcome that? You know when you, you, you're you trying to do a job and people are saying, well, you're just a politician. No matter what you're doing, it's not going to be enough or good enough. And every politician is different. But how do you personally – overcome that because there's a point in time you think you know I don't, do I even want to do this I mean no one even cares <laughs> when I work it out I'll let you know oh, <laughs> um, look it's it's part of the job and I said you know you know I think we were talking just before we started that um, you know you do get the na- odd nasty comments mm. and all of that and you and you get used to it but can I say also you get used to it but you don't um, you know it's it still hurts and yeah. I think people forget that at the end of the day that name and face and the party I represent behind that is a person and you know, we all have feelings. We're, we're mm. human beings, mm. um, and it's very hurtful to to be told that you know you're you're nothing and uh, you're you know worthless and whatever it might be. You know, um, and trust me, I've had much much worse, but I won't go into it here. Um, so it is it is hurtful, and um, I'll be the first to admit that um, it, you know I. Would I say that it, I, I'm so used to it, it doesn't affect me? No, not at mm. all. Um, so there will be times where it genuinely does um, affect me and does upset me. And how do you, yeah. how do you, how do you deal with it? Yeah, look, the, the key thing to do is to have a good support network around you, those okay. people who you trust, the people that um, have your back all the mm. time. And I'm very fortunate to have a really, really good family support mm. and I think that's important. The other thing that you need to do is always go back to your bigger picture. Why are you doing this? And not let those little things, uh, as hurtful as they can be, uh, you know, dissuade you from reaching your uh, bigger goal. Okay. Beautiful. Beautifully said. All right. Well, I think you've got to be made of Milo, really, when you get <laughs> when you get involved with those conversations or those feedbacks when people say to you, you know, it's just it's part of the fabric of society. Because I remember having a history teacher and um, she said to me, Rita, what do you want to do when you graduate from school? And I said, you know, I and I just said it out loud. I said, I think politics would be good. And she said to me, and I love this history teacher of mine. She was amazing. She said to me, Rita, I thought more of you. 
And just because I said that I was interested in politics mm. and I said, oh, okay. And that to me planted a seed of, oh, okay, so politics is something bad. Yeah. yeah. That it shouldn't be going into that. I would lose respect in, yeah. in the eyes of my teacher who I loved so much. Mm. And so that's why I asked the question because it's just in the fabric mm. of how society operates. And to overcome that and to, I mean, we see people who love their politicians overseas. I mean, they do, they do. You know, they do protests for them to come back and that's the type of love that I think every politician, every leader would just love to see, that their work actually has meaning and value to their followers, to their mm. followers, to their constituents. And so with you, um, I know that you being in the seat for how long have you been opposition leader now? Uh, I've been opposition leader for about 18 months, but um, I've been in the Assembly since um, October 2016. So how much has your workload increased since you <laughs> were not the opposition leader? <laughs> Look, significantly, there's no doubt about that. Um, and uh, there's a lot of work that comes with being leader that is unseen as well. So there's a lot of the administrative side of things and also the internal management side of things that um, you know that I wouldn't have had to do before I was leader so um, there is there is a significant increase in workload mm. um, but I would say the biggest change is a significant increase in mental load that that's that's um, the biggest impact I think so you're taking work home in the evening and going through them, reading notes? Well, it's not even the reading notes. It's the mental energy. I just can't switch off. It's very oh, difficult. Yeah. It's very difficult to switch off because you're constantly thinking about, you know, um, the, the next policy or, you know, there was a – there was, you know, in, an internal issue here or whatever it is. So it's, it's there's a lot going on um, upstairs <laughs> in the in the brain. I, I can only imagine because I think we're all wired that way mm. that we go and switch off, and that's why I see even when prime ministers retire, they're still on the main stage mm. because maybe they just can't switch off and they need, <laughs> to, right. you know, like they need to just make sure something is heard. Yeah. So I want to now. Um, ask you about just the last thing this space we commented on it's like it's amazing studio that we've got going here mm. would a governor under miss elizabeth lee would it have anything to do with or would it encourage any creative spaces small businesses what would it would do differently better than what currently exists I think, you know, it's important to have uh, community facilities that are accessible mm. to everyone. And the fact that we've got, you know, um, facilities like this is is great. You know, it's the first time I've been here yeah. and I'm very impressed, as, as, I, as I mentioned mm -hmm. when I walked in, uh, with the facilities. And it's about making sure that um, they are genuinely accessible. And uh, for some, sometimes for people who don't um, necessarily have the means or the know-how to access it, it's about, it's important to make sure that they, they do, uh, we, we reach them uh, and, and that's important. So you do something like you would put a bit more you know some moolah into it so i mean obviously i'm not going to be sitting here making an announcement about <laughs> funding or anything like that um, you know and i think i said earlier that uh, my one of my uh, big concerns is about making sure that the forgotten canberras mm -hmm. who have been left behind by by this labor greens coalition are, are uh, have that genuine access and, and that's very important to me okay beautiful now we come to the before we wrap up um i want to go through a rapid fire round with you which is like some few questions <laughs> they're rapidly the first answer is the right answer <laughs> and or not as do, the case maybe <laughs> <laughs> and all you got to do is answer it in one word or one sentence mm -hmm. okay all right, right you ready steady let's <laughs> start what's given you more opportunity what you know or who you know i think it's a combination of both but really it's the experiences and the learnings okay do you prefer texting or talking Depends on the situation and who it's to. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> High five to that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you believe that others think is crazy? Um, that uh, that's going to be really hard to say in one sentence. I have well, to say, say it. That, say it. Yeah, I have to say that I'm still 
this is it's, it's, we're going to sound really, really, really sad, but I still every now and then face um, discrimination in in terms of my race and gender, and I just I just can't believe in twenty twenty two that that's still happening. Even though you've got the profile that you've got, you've got the platform. Well, maybe that you perhaps have. because I have the profile that I have. Yeah. Can you explain to us how? It's, it, yeah, well, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> okay, oh, jeez, oh, Louise, I should ask that question. Oh Let's just say that there's sometimes uh, comments that are very subtle that um, lead, yeah, that uh, demonstrate clearly that um, uh, they don't think that a woman of colour uh, being in this role is 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 the right thing. So, mm, yeah. Okay, all right. In terms of opportunity, what's the best way for Canberrans to navigate opportunities in the city? In here, in uh, as in, as in, yeah, yeah. Uh, just to make sure that they reach out and um, go uh, for everything. Don't let um, things get in the way. Okay, where would you go if you were invisible? Maybe to the cabinet room upstairs. Not <laughs> <laughs> actually. I want to do that visible. <laughs> <laughs> but where would you go if you were invisible? To be honest, I don't really have any specific area that no. I want to go that I haven't been or oh. that I'm reaching to go to. So okay. I don't, don't really have an answer to that one. <laughs> Is it harder or easier for women to be in politics? It's hard to say because I've never been a man. We've tread on that before. But I just find even though we say that, you know, women should not have to be have the responsibility of just the kids and the housekeeping, but it's still the case. It's the reality of it when you go into someone's house, the woman is still doing the majority of the yeah, work. And that's, and yeah, the and that's why that I out. say, that's why I say, is it hard or easy for a woman to be in politics? But because, can I suggest that mm-hmm. it's actually not even the fact that we do a double load, i.e. more mm, of the mm, or, mm. Um, house stuff. The fact is it's the perception of women in politics. Um, you know, so if you start getting passionate, people tell you that you're emotional. You know, that kind of thing. It's the perception that's harder for women in politics. So with the fact that you have to wake up in the morning, you have to dress your child, you have to do a load of wash, maybe do put the load in the dishwasher, then get ready, then go to work. Just those things and you accumulate every day that you've got to do, come back home, make some dinner, whereas most men don't need to do that. Yeah, but and, I mean, you know, mm, I can't comment because obviously every, okay. every household's different and I'm very, uh, you know, and I have a very even relationship with my partner, so I don't think, I don't face those as much. But um, I would say the harder aspect for women in politics is the perception of others. And then... If you if you became chief minister, hypothetically, your main we've actually settled on that. Your main priority would be land, housing, housing. Okay, so if you were going to explain politics to a ten year old, would you what example would you use? Would you say that it's like a sport that you, people need to compete in? Politicians compete in. Would you say it's like an instrument? It needs to be well played, or would you say what Ronald Reagan said? It's it's show business. Um, I would say none of the above. Uh, what I would say that it is actually a privileged duty and you are there entrusted by your peers to make decisions for the benefit of others. Great. And then lastly, how do you want to be remembered? As somebody who actually gave a damn. Elizabeth Lee, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me on.